1: um what me. That the word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford.
0: Thank you so much for joining us again at the recent National Prayer Breakfast. The United States took another major step toward encouraging and supporting religious freedom worldwide with the launch of the International Religious Freedom Alliance. Now, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo called it an alliance of like-minded partners who treasure and fight for international religious freedom for every human being. Already it consists of 27 countries including the US, all of which are committed to protecting the freedom of religion. But how important is this new effort going to be, how effective will it be as well? We're going to get some thoughts on it now from David Curry, President and CEO of Open Doors USA. David, thanks so much for joining us. How are you?
2: I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, it's great to talk to you again. What do you say as far as the overall purpose of this IRF alliance to be? What is this all about? What are your thoughts on the establishment of this new alliance?
2: Well, I'm, I'm enthusiastic about it. I think it's a good step in the right direction so many times people say that they're for religious freedom. Countries even have it in their in their founding documents. North Korea has religious freedom in their huh. founding documents, but practically speaking, of course, uh, it doesn't often happen uh, there's so few countries in the world where people have the freedom to choose for themselves what they believe to, to change their faith if they if they choose. So I think these kinds of alliances are really helpful. And you have a, a number of countries here, some of which are, you might say, obvious partners with the United States that are agreeing to raise the level of discussion, have uh, roundtable discussions on, on a government level about what it means to implement religious liberty in your practices, in your foreign policy, and, and and in other ways as well.
0: Yeah, very good. I know Secretary Pompeo had stressed that there is increasing violence based on religion and belief, and that's you know driving this whole alliance to be established in the first place. But of course, you guys track this with your World Watch List, which you've put out just recently. Can you talk a little bit about that increase and, and what you guys have been seeing around the globe in terms of persecution, and in terms of you know going against religious freedom around the world in, in various hot spots
2: you bet. Well, I mean, you look in in some parts of of uh, uh, Central Asia, you have countries like Kazakhstan and and others that are that are on, they're on that tipping point. They could open up to freedom, but you have extremist groups or people with uh, worldviews that that want to. Clamp down and force people into a religious hole, uh, religious uh, uh, area there where they they force agreement with a certain faith. Uh, then you have regions like Africa, which are very violent, and you have an entire half of the continent that's ruled under Sharia law, which is forcing compliance with an extreme version of Islam. So these areas where you have this, there's no freedom of religious expression for people. And on the most basic level, Janet, what that means is for somebody born in that area to be assigned a faith that they may or may not believe in, not allowed to experiment, not allowed to study a biblical text or any other text, uh, and to decide for themselves, you know, I think... I think I believe this, or maybe I don't believe it, or maybe I, I don't know if there is a God. These kind of basic things that we take for granted, that's not happening in those, in those places. When you have those kinds of, of really rigid worldviews that are imposed politically— and imposed, sometimes with violence, uh, you have a dangerous uh, concoction. And that's why these kind of uh, flare-ups happen around the world.
0: Exactly. Well, one of the things that is cited in these alliance commitments outlined by the U.S. was the fact that members are committed to upholding their state obligations under international law in general, and the ICCPR specifically relating to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, etc. What are those international law obligations that are currently on the books that Countries do have to uphold who are involved in this whole issue.
2: Well, I, I can't uh, quote them to you, chapter and verse, because I, <laughs> I haven't memorized them. Sir. but let me give you some some uh, some some broad strokes here. You've got you've got issues around giving people the freedom uh, uh, to to discuss, to meet together, uh, and and to uh, you know to express their faith in a public gathering, these kinds of things, which is, you know, not... not always possible you have uh, members who need to commit to condemning violence against persons based on religion sounds pretty obvious but these kinds of things Uh, so there are any number of things which are pretty fundamental um that that uh, these folks are agreeing to to advocate on behalf of individuals who are imprisoned because of their religion or belief Right. Pretty fundamental things. But unfortunately, it's not happening enough.
0: Right. Now, you have 27 countries, including the U.S., that have already become part of this alliance. Uh, Who else could come on board? I know, obviously, when you look, for example, at your top 10 offenders, persecutors of Christians worldwide, you'll say, well, North Korea probably won't be joining the alliance anytime soon. But do you have hopes that there are more countries that will sign on to this alliance, that they can be convinced to come on board and to make religious freedom more of a priority?
2: Oh, I I think there's there's a lot more that can be done on this. You have countries like Austria, Georgia, Greece, Hungary, Israel, Kosovo, uh, Ukraine, uh, others, uh, the Netherlands, Poland that are joining on. But, you know, I I would love to see uh, more countries in the Middle East, Jordan. uh, I'd love to see some of these uh, uh, countries like that that are that that certainly I think could get there over time Uh, jumping on. Obviously, we also have partners that should be on the list, but are not. When I say partners, people that we consider to be political allies, India, uh, Saudi Arabia, which are on our world watch list, meaning there are places that aren't Hospitable to, to the free practice of of a Christian faith, right, uh, and there are also you know have issues uh, other human rights issues so the, the, I think those are those are countries I would like to see a discussion about what can we do to help them understand how this uh, is an important issue in the international uh, realm, how this I think it hinders their their ability to do business on a greater scale to to uh, unleash the potential of their people, um, so I think there's a lot of benefit to countries like that uh, in in trying to come into more compliance with international law.
0: Well, I'm curious when you mention India because India was number ten on the 2020 World Watch List top ten list of of you know persecutors across the globe. What is the status of India when it comes to how, in in particular, it treats Christians? I know there are are all kinds of clashes over in India, but what in particular is going on over there at the moment?
2: Well, it it is important. It's timely because the president is going to be going to be spending time in India just in a few days. India has had thousands of incidents of violence and oppression against Christians. It's a big country. There's a lot of people there. Uh, But the the main thrust is not just the individual rogue actors that seem to be but through their extremist Hindu faith attacking Christians. It's the role of government that's particularly concerning the RSS, uh, political party, which is part of, uh, uh, uh pardon me, the BJP, uh, party, which is part of, uh, President uh, Prime Minister Modi's political group—they have a systematic way of dealing with this. They want to Hinduize the the country, uh, force uh, compliance to one faith. They're they're attacking on some small level Muslims in the country, but they're making it very difficult difficult for Christians and Christian ministries to do uh, to do their important charitable work there. Even surprisingly. Uh, those that are, you know, fundamentally focused on health and welfare, these kinds of things, not around proselytizing or anything like that. They just don't seem to want to have a a freedom of Christian expression there. They deny it, but on the other hand, they have some pretty... blatant uh, public statements out there from the leaders of the party that seem to indicate that they they do want to get rid of the free expression of Christian faith, which they view as Western, which they view as a, a negative influence, but it's, it's it's very unusual step since about 2014, I think it is. There's been a 400% rise in violence against Christians.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, there's a lot more to talk about. We're going to pause for a short break and come back with David Curry, President and CEO of Open Doors USA, discussing this new International Religious Freedom Alliance. You're listening to Janet Meffert today. Back in a moment. Christians losing their businesses for not baking wedding cakes for homosexuals. Parents losing custody for not affirming their child's gender identity. Big tech censoring Christian books, videos, and social media posts. This isn't a dystopian nightmare. It's America in 2020. But what will God's people do to respond to the sexual radicals whose rising social and political power is threatening our religious freedom and our free speech? It's time for Christians to get informed about the looming threats that we're facing and learn how to respond as both... Salt and light. That's why I'd like to personally invite you to join me at our second annual God's Voice Conference, a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny coming to Oklahoma City on April 17th and 18th. You'll hear from an unprecedented lineup of some of the leading Christian thinkers, pastors, pro-family activists, and medical and therapeutic experts who are fighting on the front lines of this battle and standing firmly on God's word in the face of growing LGBTQ plus opposition to Christianity. Speakers, including Dr. Everett Piper, Joe Dallas, Dr. Quentin Van Meter from the American College of Pediatricians, and Greg Burt from the California Family Council, will all reveal the social, political, and spiritual threats to the church from this movement. They'll offer powerful biblical teaching and encouragement for the battle ahead. You'll hear testimonies from ex-homosexuals whose lives were transformed by the power of the gospel and learn how to answer common arguments that promote homosexuality and transgenderism. Let me tell you, there's nothing else like God's Voice Conference to get Christians ready to stand in this evil day. So I hope to see you at the God's Voice Conference, an outreach of First Stone Ministries, April 17th and 18th in Oklahoma City, and take advantage of our early bird discount registration, only $85 through March 1st. So don't delay. Go to godsvoice.us. That's godsvoice.us and register for a conference unlike any other. Go to godsvoice.us and register now. What the church needs now is God's voice.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us David Curry, who is president and CEO of Open Doors USA. We are discussing the launch of this new international religious freedom alliance. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has called it an alliance of like-minded partners who treasure international religious freedom for every human being. 27 countries including America are now signed on to this this alliance and obviously there are a lot more countries that could be added to this list. But David, you were talking before the break about the situation in India and of course Open Doors always releases its World Watch List and keeps close tabs on where religious persecution is the worst, especially for Christians. But how do you go about with this kind of an alliance bringing countries on board that are actually the persecutors? I think that's a question a lot of people have. The people who most need to sign on are the people who probably are least likely to sign on. What can be done to persuade them to sign on?
2: Well, I think what this group is going to be able to do is model how fundamental and and important these initial steps are to get together groups of various backgrounds and to talk about what are the, the common accepted standards what it would look like. There's nobody on this list that's getting it right 100% of the time so th- this is this is not a group of, of countries that have never uh, had violations or never made mistakes so I think just an example like this is how this discussion happens. I think that's incredibly important. I think when you see countries like Bahrain, we don't talk about it a lot it's a small country uh, adjacent to uh, Saudi Arabia but it has exemplified this by starting with the conversation, opening up the dialogue amongst Muslims, Christians, Jews, and, and others, uh, it really began over a period of time to, to, I think, release some of the tension around the differentness of beliefs. There's a lot of misunderstandings. So I think starting these conversations amongst these countries that can find some basic agreement is a good first step. And maybe, just maybe, some of these other countries that, already have some interaction uh, with the wider world, we'll see that, that this is a beneficial thing to them and to their people.
0: Yeah, just to get the whole conversation going. I think that that's really important. What would you say the landscape is, globally speaking, in terms of upholding religious freedom? I mean, we know here in the United States, religious freedom is part and parcel of our entire foundation as a country, but for most countries, it's not that way. What is it like in most of the rest of the world? Because we do see increasing violence. We do see increasing persecution. Um, Are there areas of the world that actually are somewhat as committed to religious freedom as we are? Or, you know, just kind of broadly speaking, what's it like out there in other countries?
2: Well, I think we have to be honest that these uh, nationalistic movements within Asia and elsewhere are problematic. You have countries, as we discussed, in India elsewhere where people are saying, you're, if you're not Hindu, you're not uh, really an Indian citizen. If you're not a Buddhist, you're not uh, part of this this movement. So we're going to lash out at other groups. And it, it's not just extremist Islam. It's happening in various forms. I think that movement is counterbalanced by the fact that you, when you have incidents like ISIS uh, attacking Boko Haram in Nigeria, these are great atrocities that trouble people of faith uh, who may see the extreme version of 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 their their faith uh, and be greatly troubled by it and dislike. I think there is a, a growing sense among moderate uh, f- uh, people of faith from all different faiths that we need to have an open discussion about. Though th- yeah. this is not helpful, um, but I'm not necessarily uh, optimistic that that. That a political methodology is going to be the sole answer. This is going to be cultural. I think that the the, the State Department has done the right thing to open these discussions, because certainly there are governments that are using their laws, their police force, every every means at their disposal to oppress religious expression. But I think it has to happen on a cultural level, too, that we have to have an understanding. There are people who disagree with the way uh, uh, you, you, you live your life and that you disagree with them, but we have to find a way to coexist. And to I don't want to sound Pollyanna, but we understand that that um, people are going to have a different way of viewing it. But yep. we still need to have the freedom to decide for ourselves
0: absolutely what we
2: think. I want to I want to read the Bible in any country I go to, not just in the, in America, but I want to practice my faith whether I'm in Saudi Arabia, whether I'm in China. Or, whether I'm in the Middle East or elsewhere. And I would like to have people have that opportunity.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, you mentioned China, and I know China has gone up on your list this year in terms of being a a persecutor. Uh, Things are really exploding over there. What what are your thoughts on the situation in China, particularly for Christians? I know they're also going after groups like the Uyghurs, the Falun Gong. Uh, They're really cracking down on any groups that they see as challengers to the Communist Party's authority. How do you see that situation situation panning out at the moment? And what has been your reaction to all of it?
2: Well, what makes them really unique is not just that they want to do that. They've always had some uh, underlying desire to force compliance to a communist system, at least in my lifetime. But that they have these technical uh, tools at their disposal now that were never available before, and they have a desire to share them. So uh, there was a recent release of some of the leak of materials from uh, regarding their surveillance of Uyghurs and how much information they're collecting on these Uyghur Muslims in the northwest part of China. And how they're using it to squeeze and to to force compliance to a, Chinese, a communist system uh, with with these folks. I think you're likely to see that sort of thing happening right now uh, in in great numbers in the future. It's already happening. To Christians, on some level, they're collecting this information. They're surveilling Christians in church. So this is the problem. It's not just that they have the desire to do it; it's that they have a technical sophistication that's never been seen before, and the ability to to centralize it all. Um, so I think this is for the next decade. This is what we're going to be talking about when you think about facial recognition, and that your phone recognizes you, and that everywhere you go, you're being recognized. Uh, We volunteer for a fair amount of that here, but it's all decentralized. Facebook has your information. Others have your information. Imagine if it's in the hands of an Islamic regime. Uh. They're selling it to Iran. They're Uh. selling it to Egypt. and 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 or a communist di- dictatorship uh, like North Korea, which will certainly adopt it over time.
0: Oh, that's really troubling. Very very sobering to hear about that. You know, some some other group that was mentioned by Secretary Pompeo were the Christians in Northeast Nigeria, and Nigeria obviously has been a horrible spot for Christians with the you know the violence from Boko Haram, the killing of Christians, and burning of churches and all the rest. What are things like there now? And is there any real possibility that the alliance can make things better for christians in nigeria in particular
2: i think it could be very helpful in nigeria because nigeria has uh you know a good half of its country that wants to and needs to interact with the international community boko haram these extremist groups like the fulani they are attacking in the northern states of the country the central government needs to be pressured to protect these Christian groups. They are very slow to respond. And when I say slow, I mean they'll send troops in there without without the ability to defend against these uh, very well-armed uh, attackers. It, it just seems that they are clueless as to how to deal with this. I know they're susceptible or interested in the pressure of the community. They wrote recently wrote an op-ed to the New York Times, I believe it was, Maybe have was been the Washington Post, but the president himself addressed that, hey, we are interested in this Christian population. We understand this is a problem, but we're going to do something. Unfortunately, we've heard this before. Yes. I think other governments uh, connecting their aid, their support, their interaction with Nigeria is just about the only thing that's going to bring these people to an understanding that, that uh, protecting these minority groups is going to affect their economy, it's going to affect the way people view them, and it, it's, it's, it's a grave issue.
0: Well, it certainly is something to keep an eye on. I'm curious when you when you talk about, you know, we've heard these sorts of things before and we certainly have. It's been a, a very big shift between the last presidential administration and this presidential administration in terms of upholding religious freedom. I know there's another ministerial to advance religious freedom coming up in Poland this summer. Do you believe that these ministerials, the launch of this alliance and other efforts by the Trump administration are making a substantial difference? And and what do you make of what they're going to be doing going into the future, really making a difference in particular for Christians who have been experiencing in some parts of the world a real genocide?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're right. This administration has taken big steps forward. I don't say that politically. It's just the reality on uh, religious freedom right. for all kinds of people. Um, I think what what they are doing is, is the right thing to do. It's going to set a standard that I think other countries and other administrations are going to have to hold to. I think these kinds of, of discussions must happen. They are clearly a first step. But it's just very helpful. And when you look at past administrations, we dealt with uh, all number of them. But you will see that people talk about it, talk about they don't do anything. At least we're getting together and having these discussions, uh, finding some common standard, not forcing people into a particular faith, but just to say we're going to respect Faith. We want to, there to be uh, churches and sacred places that are safe, that governments will protect them, protect freedom, people's freedom to choose their faith, not to be charged with blasphemy, these kinds of things. These are big, big issues. They usually are at the center of every major uh, genocide or conflict or upheaval that it, it, over the past hundred years or more. So I think if we can. If we can deal with this effectively, I think we're going to save a lot of lives and give people a better quality of life.
0: well, right. And as you've said before, political solutions alone are not going to do it. And we also, as Christians need to be in prayer. I, I think sometimes we believe that's the last thing we should do, the the least effective thing we can do. Really, that's the most effective thing we can do, Don't you agree?
2: I, I totally do we I, I think people should be praying for believers around the world that are, are persecuted. We have to example a love and a grace for people who aren 't of our faith you 've never you 're never going to lead an enemy to the Lord, only a friend. I think that 's an important thing to struggle through. I understand even with our own faith. We, we sometimes say, well, that person's in this denomination, I'm in this one. We yeah. don't agree. It's it's not helpful. I think we need to have a, a bigger view of, uh, of, of how we view God's, uh, God's plan.
0: I love it. Thank you so much. David Curry from Open Doors USA. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back right after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855 402 BABY. That's 855 402 2229 or janetmefford.com.
1: This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: Well, very interesting to see that the Boy Scouts of America have now filed for bankruptcy. I, of course, would make the observation that they were bankrupt long before this, but not in a financial sense. I would say in a moral sense in many ways. As we know, the Boy Scouts of America has had a very long road up to this point, and it's all centered around all of these Hundreds of lawsuits, hundreds of sexual abuse lawsuits that have been filed against the Boy Scouts stemming back to all of these molestations that have been alleged against Scoutmasters and other leaders in the Boy Scouts of America going back something like 75 years. And it was back in 2012, you might recall, that the LA Times in particular did a big story, lots of stories, in fact, on the Boy Scouts' perversion files. The perversion files had come out and, and really documented, in particular, these cases, and they were really nauseating, really, really horrifying to see all of this Smot that was just document dumped on the world. And, you know, it's hard to read this stuff. It's hard to read this stuff, but of course, it's a lot worse for those people who had to live through it. And the irony in all of this with the Boy Scouts of America is the turn that they took after all of this stuff came out. Now, this is the same organization, as we know, that has Christian foundations, has in the oath, a Boy Scout needs to uphold uh, you know, the oath, the scouting oath, which includes a vow to be morally straight. I mean, nowadays you can't do that because that would be homophobic. But you know what I'm saying? Like that the whole thing that the Boy Scouts was founded on was about being morally upright, doing your duty, being, you know, clean, reverent, brave and all the rest. And it just such a fabulous organization for so many years and they fought a very big battle over the issue of homosexuality that went all the way to the Supreme Court. They won that case and then they were just attacked and attacked and attacked and then some leftists got a hold of the organization, people like Robert Gates who came in and decided that the best thing, apparently after the perversion files were released would be for the Boy Scouts of America to go pro-LGBT because why wouldn't you do that? That just makes total sense, doesn't it? You have Male on male predators, thousands of them, over 7,800 of them, according to the Boy Scouts, and that's just an estimation, and over 12,000 victims at least. And what nobody wants to talk about is it's male on male. It's male on male. There might have been a few exceptions there, but largely speaking, it's male on male abuse. So, Robert Gates and company, let's make the Boy Scouts pro LGBT. Let's go in that direction because we don't want to be hate filled. We don't want to be homophobic. So what did they do? They allow in homosexual leaders. They allow in homosexual scouts. They get on the transgender bandwagon. And then they're admitting girls. Then their membership is dwindling. Now they filed for bankruptcy. So this is the story from CNN. Actually, I believe this was headline news. But I want to play a little bit of this report from Erica Hill. Listen to cut one.
3: Thousands of former Boy Scout volunteers accused of sexually abusing children between 1944 and 2016. In all, we're talking about 12,254 alleged child victims and some 7,819 alleged abusers. All of these people identified by Dr. Janet Warren. And it is important to point out, Lynn, those are the numbers that we have. It is unknown just how many potential victims and abusers have gone unreported.
0: Yes. Well, that's very significant. We're talking at least 12,000 victims, 12,254 victims. But how many are unreported? Now, this is interesting. She also talks more about Dr. Janet Warren, whom she just mentioned, compiled those statistics. Listen to this cut to.
3: Dr. Warren is a professor at the University of Virginia Medical School, and she was hired by the organization to offer recommendations on how to best protect children from predators. She spent five years poring through Boy Scout records, and in newly exposed court testimony in an unrelated case, Warren said the registration of those volunteers—remember, more than 7,800—was quote revoked because of un because of reasonable rather allegations of child. Sexual mm-hmm. abuse. That testimony was actually revealed this week by an attorney who represents abuse survivors. Now, in a statement to CNN, the Boy Scouts of America apologized to victims, saying, Nothing is more important than the safety and protection of children in scouting, and we are outraged that there have been times when individuals took advantage of our programs to abuse innocent children. The statement goes on to say, At no time have we ever knowingly allowed a perpetrator to work with youth, and we mandate that all leaders, volunteers, and staff members nationwide immediately report any abuse allegation to law enforcement. The organization also telling CNN it has maintained a volunteer screening database since actually the 1920s, and it's been doing that to prevent anyone accused of abuse or inappropriate conduct from joining or even re-entering its programs, also noting that all leaders undergo a criminal background check. And the Boy Scouts tell CNN they offer unlimited counseling and maintain a helpline for any scout. Or a scout's family member who suffered abuse during their time as a scout.
0: Okay, I find this interesting. And the reason I find this interesting is because they do PR for the Boy Scouts. I mean, the whole, I know you have to get both sides of the story. You have to report what's going on, and you have to get a statement from the organization that's in the midst of all of this controversy, and they're going to say their side of the story because they're doing PR. But, you know, what about the perversion files there? They don't really get into that, and they don't get into all of the stories that have come out over the years that the Boy Scouts covered stuff up for years. Why else would there be lawsuits coming out their ears if they had done everything right? Of course they want to do everything right now when they're bankrupt Of course. And I'm not saying that they have no feelings for these victims. I'm sure that they do. But you also have to look straight in the eye as to the moral culpability of this organization and all of the horrible things that they allowed to go on and didn't want to come out. And there were actual kids who were hurt here. I think that goes without saying. Now, here's what's very interesting to me. Keep in mind, we're talking about CNN here. Uh, But the anchor, I'm going to play this cut for you. And at the beginning of the cut, you're going to hear the anchor asking two key questions. Okay, two key questions of Erica Hill. And listen to how Erica Hill only answers the second question. Just listen for that first question. Cut three.
3: So Erica, that's what they're doing. It makes you wonder how are there this many boys and why is it coming to light now? What are you learning about that? In terms of why this came to light now, so again, remember that testimony that was revealed, it was actually from a separate unrelated case where Dr. Warren was an expert in that case. But an attorney brought that to light this week saying he wanted to raise awareness about New York State's new child victims act. So this is legislation recently signed here in New York State Lynn, which expands both the civil and criminal criminal statute of limitations for survivors of sexual abuse. It offers a new one-year look-back window, as it's known. So this will now allow victims to bring new charges if, in fact, their window to file had expired. And that goes into effect here in New York on August 14th.
0: Okay. Did you notice the question that she did not answer? The first question was, how are there this many boys? And why is it coming to light now? The only question that Erica Hill answered in that clip was, why is it coming to light now? She just completely skipped over how are there this many boys? And you know what? That's what nobody wants to talk about. Have you noticed this? Nobody wants to talk about it. You can't make any connection whatsoever between men and boys and homosexuality because the Boy Scouts are all pro-LGBT. It is Morally insane, honestly, because if you look at the statistics and you look at how many of the predators uh, went after boys, uh, how in the world do you avoid that subject? I'm not saying, of course I am not saying that everybody who is a homosexual is by nature also a predator. That certainly is not true. And none of us would ever try to make that claim. But on the other hand, how can you ignore the elephant in the room? This is what we've been saying for years as the Boy Scouts went in a pro-LGBT direction What are you, crazy? What are you doing? What are you doing when you've had so many male predators go after boys in your organization and you have so many lawsuits that you're fielding and now you're going to bring more potential problems into your organization and and you're going to drive people away? I mean, you talk to a good number of parents in this country and how many parents would want their little boys to have a homosexual boy scout leader in light of what has happened and been revealed in those perversion files it's just a fact a lot of parents just simply don't want to be a part of the boy scouts and that's i think in large measure why you've seen the decline in membership in the boy scouts of america and the subsequent rise in membership In groups like Trail Life USA, the Christian alternative to the Boy Scouts of America. There's more to come. We're going to pause for a short break. We'll be back on Janet Meffert today. I decided to keep her and now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The Ministry of Preborn invites you to share your pro-life message through sharing heartbeats. You see, when a young woman considering abortion sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat eight out of ten times, she'll choose life for her preborn baby. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just oh my gosh. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Meffer today? For one $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax-deductible, and 100% of your donation goes toward saving babies' lives. Call now, 855-402-2229, 855-402-BABY, that's 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMufford.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet.
0: Well, we have a bankrupt Boy Scouts. Anybody surprised? Well, when you have hundreds of sexual abuse lawsuits being filed against the organization, they're going to run out of money at some point. Yeah, it's unbelievable what's been going on in the Boy Scouts on a lot of levels. And we've been talking about that. But CNN had this story. I want to read a little bit out of the CNN story because there is a portion here that I think is quite significant for people to wrap their heads around. They quote a Seattle-based attorney by the name of Michael Fow. His firm represents 300 alleged victims across the country. And Michael Fow said the bankruptcy claims process will be decidedly different for those suffering due to the Boy Scouts of America's alleged inaction. He said they won't have to give depositions involving their life history. Their lives won't be scrutinized, but they lose their right to a jury trial. For a lot of abuse survivors, telling their story in a court of law and forcing the organizations to defend their actions can be cathartic. That won't happen with a bankruptcy. Now, another attorney said in the aftermath of one of the cases, his law office received hundreds of phone calls from adult males claiming to have been Boy Scouts of America sexual abuse victims, but many states had statutes of limitation that narrowed their legal options at the time. It wasn't until years later when some state legislators enacted new laws that enabled victims to file lawsuits without limits on when the alleged abuse took place that a barrage of complaints against the youth organization were filed. Now here's the kicker. Fow estimates the number of claimants will eclipse those of the Catholic Church. Now just think about that for a minute. The overwhelming number of particularly boys in the Catholic Church, again, who were molested by men, Catholic priests in the Catholic Church. So as as people have pointed out, it's not necessarily a pedophilia problem, but a pederasty problem in which you have grown men preying on teenage boys. That was, by and large, the problem in the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal. And the number of alleged victims in the Boy Scouts is expected to exceed the number of victims in the Catholic Church scandal. That's staggering. That is utterly staggering, and he said the Catholic bankruptcies are limited in geographic scope. Here, there will be claimants from all 50 states in the American territories. We can talk about files and numbers, but in reality, if you step back and realize the scope of the human carnage, it's stunning. And I agree with him there. Now, I wanted to go back in time a little bit to 2012. I had mentioned before that that's when the perversion files of the Boy Scouts came to light. The L.A. Times did a lot of, in particular, a lot of journalism on LA, on the perversion files. You can still find all of that online. But CBS News did a report, and I thought this was interesting to, to listen to in light of the CNN audio that I played for you just a little bit ago. Let's listen to this October 2012 report on the Boy Scouts perversion files. Released and reported here by CBS News. This is cut four.
1: Tom Stewart became a Cub Scout in 1970 and almost immediately became a victim of his scoutmaster.
2: I was in scouting with my brother Matt,
1: and we were uh, sexually abused for the better part of 10 years, from uh, age eight to eighteen. He says he is just one of many Boy Scouts who have been molested by those they trusted.
2: It's not easy for me to to get up here and talk about this, but, you know, I do want to speak for all the victims that can't speak for themselves.
1: There have been hundreds, if not thousands, of other victims documented by the Boy Scouts in what came to be called the perversion files. In 1935, the New York Times reported the group had created a red flag list naming almost 900 men removed for, quote, moral perversion. Twenty years ago, author Patrick Boyle collected boxes full of the files released during court cases against the Scouts. These files are an incredible treasure trove of information about how child molesters
3: operate in youth serving organization.
1: But the Boy Scouts have resisted legal efforts to make more of the files public. Now, however, details have been put online listing the names of some 1,900 scout leaders suspected or convicted of abusing children. Victims' rights attorney Tim Koznoff posted the list. Today, there exist uh, more than 6,000 files, uh, and the rate at which they are opened up continues to be, on average, one every other day
0: unbelievable. Now here CBS interviews Dr. Janet Warren. She's the woman who was hired by the Boy Scouts and referenced in the previous audio that I played from CNN. And then this concludes with an abuse victims take, which I think kind of sums it all up. This is cut five.
1: Janet Warren, a professor of psychiatry, says the Boy Scouts created the perversion files to identify suspected child molesters and get them out of scouting.
0: They've been consistent, they've been diligent, um, and they've kept up a very sustained effort um, to use it to protect children.
1: Victims disagree. Tom Stewart says the files may have protected the Boy Scouts, but did not protect him.
2: You know, scouting does have some good points, however, Right now, it's it's a very dangerous program for young boys.
0: You know, those are the voices that I think people need to hear, the voices of the victims. And that was not included in that little CNN report that I played for you. They didn't go to the victims. They didn't go to the victims. You should talk to the victims. What is their feeling? What is their sense of how they were let down by the Boy Scouts? You know, and This whole thing of trying to spin it and PR, oh, the Boy Scouts were so diligent. Well, clearly not. It's pretty obvious. Robert Knight is a great columnist over at the Washington Times. He actually is an Eagle Scout himself and a great writer, great pro-family activist. I went back to an op-ed that was published, I believe, in USA Today back in 2012. He got a lot of for this column, but I think it's interesting to go back to it. And I wanted to share a little bit of it with you because he really, as a Christian, understands this so well. Listen to what he said some eight years ago. He said, when I was a Boy Scout, we learned many useful skills, everything from tying knots to filleting a fish. I also learned about the chaos that can be unleashed in a Boy Scout troop when one member is gay. Troop leaders had a problem when nobody wanted to share a tent with one of my fellow scouts after he ignored requests that he stop touching other boys. After much disruption, he was asked to leave. Soon, Such an act of responsibility could become far more complicated if leaders have to deal with the sensitive subject of homosexuality without protective and simple guidance from the National Boy Scouts of America. Next week, and of course this is eight years ago, the BSA board will vote on whether to overturn the Scouts' ban on openly gay members and leaders. They are describing it as a matter of local choice, but it would be a prelude to surrender. Embattled local councils and troops would lose the national policy shield, and judges could determine that sexual morality is no longer a core value of the organization, an issue key to protecting Boy Scouts' First Amendment freedom of association. The new policy, as a spokesman put it in a news release, allows local groups that oversee and deliver scouting to accept membership and select leaders consistent with their organization's mission, principles, or religious beliefs. In other words, liberal churches and other sponsors that have jumped the shark on sexual morality could now allow openly gay men and boys into scout troops. The idea that homosexual behavior is not acceptable would no longer be a part of the organization's message and thus, according to the Supreme Court's reasoning, no longer allow local troops to follow the old policy. This could destroy the Boy Scouts, a bastion of traditional values. Here you are. To many parents, Robert wrote, the issue is not just about the right to express disapproval of homosexual conduct. Boy Scouts like Penn State and the Jerry Sandusky scandal learned hard lessons about failing to protect boys. In Scouts Honor, a 1994 book investigative reporter Patrick Boyle revealed decades of cases in which hundreds of scout leaders abused boys. Some point to pedophilia, attraction to prepubescent children as the sole cause of the abuse, but he writes for the Boy Scouts, males being attracted to other males is a key part of the issue, both from a moral and a practical point of view. As with the Catholic Church's scandal, many of the victims were young men, not children. Now it goes on, he did get a lot of flack for saying that, but isn't that what is obvious in all of this? We have never even really had a big discussion about that issue with all of the hundreds of gallons of ink that have been spilled on the Catholic church abuse scandal. Nobody wants to talk about that. It was male on male. Is that unusual? I mean, we take precautions all the time to separate males and females. At least we used to because people understood males and females are attracted to one another. So for example, you don't want to, I mean, the old days, you didn't want to have co-ed dorms where you had boys living across the hall from girls and you didn't want to have a military that was mixed sex. And I, I know none of these things you know, are, are, are very cool today. But, you know, they weren't that bad, were they? They, they were pretty wise. So what you want to do is you want to be able to protect anybody who is, you know, potentially in the line of fire as to any kind of looming danger. And you want to do everything you can to head it off, no matter what the danger happens to be. And I look at the Boy Scouts and I honestly have to say, I'm sad on the one hand because it has been a great organization for many decades up until the last one. And I think, and I must include, all of the things that didn't come to light until the last decade regarding all of this abuse. Certainly we have to include that in the moral failures of the Boy Scouts. Had they been morally straight, none of this would have happened. They should have protected those victims, and they should have kept their moral head on straight themselves. And they just didn't. And it's very difficult in that regard for me to look at the Boy Scouts and feel any kind of sadness, because I think that they earned their right to bankruptcy. They really earned it. And I hope it does benefit other organizations like Trail Life USA. Keep our boys safe and our girls. We got to leave it there. Thanks for being with us on Janet Meford today. We'll see you next time.